Thank you so much for the privilege of inviting me to share with you today. My name is Malcolm Duncan, and I want to begin by thanking Kensington Temple for its ministry. Over the years, from I became a Christian in the mid-1980s, it is much of your ministry that has inspired me, encouraged me, and helped me. When I entered um, Elam Pentecostal Ministry in the early 1990s, it was Eldon Corsi that led the group that interviewed me, and he and Vivian became friends. I'm deeply grateful for that remarkable man and his ministry. When Lewis had a profound influence in my life, encouraging me and inspiring me and reminding me of God's call in my life at moments when I needed to be reminded of it most. I remember one particular moment meeting him in an airport as we were crossing. We hadn't intended or even known that we were both going to be there. And he was in his latter years and we spent such a wonderful time together in fellowship and in encouragement. He was a remarkable man. And Colin and Amanda Dye are friends, but they are also amazing leaders. And Colin's ministry here and around the world has had a deep and a profound impact on me. I can remember at one point thinking, is it possible for me to be both a Pentecostal and Reformed in my theology? And I found it very difficult to find anybody that could help me to grapple with those two things in uh, church life. And Colin helped me to find a way through. His ministry and his example inspired me to hold out for the presence and the power of the Spirit and the truth and the authority of God's Word and not to apologise for the power of the Spirit and not to explain away his presence and his power and nor to dilute or reduce or diminish the power of God's Word. And without his teaching and preaching ministry, I am pretty sure that I would not still be in ministry today. So as I come to share with you, it is a huge privilege for me to be um, in this position. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I believe that God has laid a word on my heart for Kensington Temple, for all of you. And as you hear it, I pray that you will respond to it, that you will think on it, that you will reflect on it, and that God, by the power of his spirit, will speak into your heart, into your sets of circumstances, and into your life, and that you will know the nearness of the spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the choices that you make in your own lives, in your families, in your communities, and that God will be glorified in all of it. I want to begin by inviting you to come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a passage that has Paul encouraging the Corinthian believers to finish the work that God has asked them to do in giving. And I want to use that as a launch pad with you. So we're going to read from a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But for the moment, can we pray together? Lord, I want to thank you for this holy moment, for this sense of your presence with those that are listening and with me here as I try to communicate what you have got to say. Lord, open our ears. Let us hear your voice. Let us be guided by your spirit. We believe that where you are at work, anything is possible. We thank you, Lord, for the rich heritage, for the rich story of Kensington Temple. But we don't rest on our laurels. We don't look back. We ask that in this moment, for this season, and for this next chapter of its life, that you would speak profoundly and powerfully into it. We pray that for every church across the Elam family and across the world. We are in moments of destiny. Moments when we must decide who we are, what we stand for, and what we will do as a priority with our time. You're calling us into moments of taking risks of being open to you, of being led by you. And I pray that in all of that, each of us as followers of Jesus, each of the churches of which we are part, 
and Kensington Temple would be open to what you are saying and that you would bring this fellowship from one degree of glory to another, not for its own benefit, but for the advancement of the kingdom and the uplifting of the name of Jesus Christ. We ask it in your holy name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I just want to read to you from verse 10 to set the context. Paul has encouraged the Corinthian believers to remember that they are to complete the work that God has called them to do because Christ, who was rich for their sakes, became poor so that they, through his poverty, might be made rich. And we read these words. I read from the New Revised Standard Version. And in this matter, I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. I want to talk to Kensington Temple this morning about what I believe God has said, and it is this, now finish the work. Now finish what God has called you to do. Step into the next chapter of your future and your story with confidence and with humility and with a sense of deep and profound expectation that God might be at work amongst you. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was reminding them that they had made a commitment to do something and he wanted them to fulfil that commitment. In their case, it was giving financially to the needs of the church. What has God called you to, sister or brother? As an individual, as a member of a family, as part of a community, living in one of the boroughs of London or further afield if you listen via online ministry. What has God called you to do? You know, there are times in our lives when we must pause and say, Lord, I want to finish the work that you have called me to do. I want to do what you have called me to do. The Apostle Paul knew the power of that when he wrote to the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He said, to the whole fellowship, not to an individual, to a whole community of faith, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was saying to the whole church in Philippi, God is going to finish what he has started in you. And I want to encourage you with that same promise today as we reflect for a moment on God's word. God will finish what he has begun in you, Kensington Temple. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. The days that lie ahead could be days full of possibility, full of grace, full of encounter, full of purpose and full of power. And it is my prayer that you will rise to this challenge with a deep and profound sense of the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. But I don't only pray that for Kensington Temple as a community. I pray that for individuals within Kensington Temple, all of you. When Paul, as an old man, wrote to Timothy, he could say this with confidence. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And there now awaits for me a crown. You see, as individual followers of Jesus and as a community of faith, we can have confidence in this. God will complete the work that he has begun in us. And it's my deep prayer that you will lay hold of this word. I believe God wants to speak prophetically into your lives individually and into your lives collectively and say to you, I am going to finish the work. Now finish the work with me. Let me do a fresh and new thing. But here is the challenge. 
It isn't rooted in something unseen or unknown. What God wants to do in Kensington Temple and what God wants to do through Kensington Temple is deeply rooted in your past. I am convinced that when God calls a church into being, he calls it into being for a particular and a significant reason. And he remains faithful to that reason. He remains faithful to that purpose. And I think that he has done that for Kensington Temple. Come with me back to the mid 18, the first half of the 18th, the 19th century, the 1830s and 1840s, when a group of Congregationalists began to save and began to dream about what they could do into this terrible end of London known as Notting Hill. Watch with me as they band together and they pray and they give. Watch as they spent £635 on a piece of land that is on the edge of Ladbrook Grove and Kensington uh, Park Road. Watch as they build that fellowship, that building that became what you now enjoy as Kensington Temple. And this amazing place, Holbury, Holbury Chapel, built by a group of people who wanted to reach out to the broken and to the lost of London who wanted to give that community a sense of hope and presence and power. And watch how God uses this little fellowship as they labour and as they serve. Now jump with me in the story of Kensington Temple to 1921, when a young man called Stephen Jeffries preaches a series of sermons there. And then jump another 10 years forward to 1931, when George Jeffries buys that old congregational chapel and Kensington Chapel, Kensington Temple as it is now known, is born. And here, what George Jeffries wanted to do with Kensington Temple and how he interacted with it and engaged with it over the years. It wasn't simply to be a local church, although it is that. It was to be a centre for Pentecostal witness in London. It was to be a headquarters for Pentecostal mission and evangelism around the United Kingdom. This remarkable evangelist held regular healing crusades there. He proclaimed the gospel there. He used it as a base for reaching the nations there. He impacted hundreds of thousands of people. Watch as the emphasis on deliverance, on healing, on preaching, on the presence of God, on the imminence and nearness of God sweeps across London under Jeffrey's ministry. And watch as the beat, the heartbeat of Kensington Temple and all that went on there enables that to take place. This is what is in your DNA and it remains in the DNA of that fellowship and has been honoured and interpreted and applied by all of the leaders that God has sent to you. And I thank God for them. George Jeffries used Kensington Temple as a base for revival healing campaigns, for Pentecostal unity conferences, for ordinations, for deeper spiritual life conferences. It wasn't unknown for him in the days that he was ministering in Kensington Temple to stop the meeting and to go and stand in the middle of the congregation and stand on a chair and lead the singing from there. Or he would pause everything and announce to the congregations, the master is here. Nothing has changed in the DNA of Kensington Temple. It is still God's desire that you would be able to stop and say, the master is here. It is still God's desire that Kensington Temple is a beating heart in London, pulsating with the power of the gospel, pulsating with the presence of the Holy Spirit, offering people life and hope, telling a better story than the narrative of our culture, reminding people that God is still good and God is still great. 
At one point, a national newspaper commented on George Jeffrey's ministry in Kensington Temple and said that it was a church where God was moving and it had tip-top seats. Well, you know what? Now, today, in our age, people can view from around the world. We can have the best buildings, but God, by his presence and by his power, can bring people into direct contact with him through your ministry. And I thank God for the ways in which he has done that over the years. And those principles, revival, healing meetings, we still need God's healing power. We still need the presence of the Holy Spirit to burst in upon us, don't we? And Kensington Temple has an incredibly important part to play in that story. We still need unity across the Pentecostal churches. We need a Kensington Temple. The Pentecostal church The charismatic church in the world needs Kensington Temple to be what God has called it to be. This isn't a plea for your importance. It's not a plea to put you on a pedestal. I have long believed and I believe with all of my heart now that we need citadels in our church families. We need places that we can look to that can inspire us and can remind us that God is still at work. Westminster Chapel needs to be a citadel of proclamation of the gospel, proclamation of the power of God. It doesn't need to be owned by a denomination or controlled. It needs to be this pulsating biblical centre at the heart of London. And London needs Kensington Temple to be what God called Kensington Temple to be. He doesn't need it to be introverted. He doesn't need it to be privatised. He doesn't need it to sit under the shadow of something else. He needs it to be the fellowship that God has called it to be. A community of people alive with the power of the Holy Spirit, open to the purposes of God, willing to be on the cutting edge of church life, probing into new areas of ministry and mission and evangelism and witness, led with passion and conviction and humility and honesty and integrity and perseverance and determination, believing that God has something for you, you know, I can remember back in the 19, in the mid 1980s, London had a handful, a handful of lively charismatic churches. Look around you now and see what God has done in the last 30 years in the city of London. Thousands of churches pulsating with life. I am convinced that God used Kensington Temple to pray those into being. I'm convinced that he used the ministry of Eldon Corsi and Wynne Lewis and Colin Dye to bring them into being. The nation has been impacted. The world has been impacted by the ministry of Kensington Temple. And it's my prayer that God will continue to raise that up. You see, when I say finish the work that God has called you to do, I'm not asking you to finish a building project. I'm not asking you to finish the latest idea. I'm asking you to finish what God birthed in you in 1931 that will continue until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Eldon Corsi came to lead Kensington Temple in 1965 and in his 15 or 16 years of tenure through to 1980 he brought with him a deep desire to see evangelism and mission and healing and the presence of God touch the streets of London, the city of London and the world. He brought a hunger and a thirst for God's word. He brought a hunger and a thirst for God's spirit. He brought an openness to the leading and the guiding of the prophetic. He was willing to step into new spaces and take risks and he did it for the kingdom. When when Lewis took over the reins in 1980, he brought exactly the same heart. A desire to see the gospel proclaimed, the presence and demonstration of the spirit outworked. He brought with him a hunger and a yearning for Kensington Temple to be a pulsating heartbeat of life for the people of God in London and around the world. 
And when Colin Dye came in 1987 and then took on the reins in 1991 as the senior pastor, in all of his ministry it's been the same. These men have sought to say, God, use this place for your glory. Use this place as a place where your spirit is free to move. Use this place as grounded in your word, grounded in the truth, grounded in the gospel and help us to be whatever we need to be to reach as many people as we can with the good news of Jesus Christ and to proclaim loud and clear in London and around the world that the spirit of God is still at work. Those are the things that I believe God has called Kensington Temple to finish, to press into all of these things. Sisters and brothers, I am utterly convinced of the wonderful, wonderful richness of all that God has done in all of the years of your fellowship. But next year in 2021, it will be 100 years since Stephen Jeffries preached a series of sermons in Hobery Chapel. In 2031, it will be 100 years should Christ tarry since the birthing of Kensington Temple. And I want to ask you a deep and a profound question. What does God want to do in the next year and in the next 10 years that can further all that God has called you to do? How can he lead you into the future that he has planned for you? I believe that it is a future full of possibilities, full of pitfalls, full of challenges, full of anxieties, full of questions that have to be asked, full of conundrums that need to be solved, but full of the Spirit's presence. And it feels to me as if in the words of Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is pointing his finger at you and saying, come over here, that God is beckoning you into this next season of your life together and that he's asking you to follow him with confidence and with a deep sense of his leading and of his guiding. Now consider with me the words of the prophet Haggai who prophesied from August 520 through to December 520 to a people who were discouraged, who had lost their way a little bit and who needed to be reminded of God's purposes and God's plans. They had returned from their exile in 538 from Iran and Iraq back to Jerusalem. But they had stopped in their work. They had been called to build the temple. They'd been called to rebuild the city. And they'd stopped. And God reminds them that they are to pick up what he has asked them to do. And Haggai, in these four messages, calls them to press in to all that God wants them to do. And he reminds them of God's purposes and plans for their life. Listen to this from Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider how you have fared. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you that earn wages, earn wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build. Build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You have looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins while all of you hurry off to your own houses. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil and on what the soil produces, on human beings and animals and on all their labours. 
Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month. I'm not suggesting for one moment that Kensington Temple um, can say that you've done nothing. That's not the point of me reading Haggai 1. But there is, isn't there, in all of us, a holy dissatisfaction, a deep yearning for God to move in our lives and to draw us into all that he wants and to pour his spirit out through us. In 520 BC, this prophet spoke to the people of Israel and he reminded them in Jerusalem that God had more for them to do. And he said, pick up your wood, go to the hills, bring it down and build. Don't allow dissatisfaction to become despondency. Don't allow disappointment to lead to complacency. Instead, press into all that God has for you. And what we read in Haggai chapter 1 verse 12 is that the spirit of the Lord stirred up Shealtiel and stirred up the leaders and they set to Sisters and brothers, can I encourage you, let the Spirit of the Lord stir you up again. Let him remind you of what he has called you to do. Finish the work, finish the work, press into all that God wants you to do and be in this next season of your lives. And may he abundantly bless you and may you hear a message from the Lord. I believe that's what this is. That what I've been asked to bring you is a word of encouragement and what God wants to bring you is a word of comfort exhortation, encouragement and inspiration that says I'm still at work, there's more for me to do, now let me lift you and lead you into the next season and I I am convinced that this is true of everyone listening, of every one of us, that we can all step into what God has for us and that when we do that everybody wins, that God has a best for Kensington Temple he has a best for every satellite. He has a best for every leader. He has a best for every pastor. He has a best for every family. And he's asking us all to step into it. And that if we could, as one symphony, step into all that God has, then we would see how it all fits together. Sisters and brothers, God has a remarkable next season for you as a fellowship. And I pray that you will take it. But what is it? What does it look like? Well, let me without being directive, suggest to you that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon me a couple of things. First of all, the deep yearning that we need for his purposes and his plans. You remember with me the words of Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah has this deep yearning for God to visit again, for God to come in power and move again amongst his people and in the world. In Nehemiah chapter 1, as Nehemiah looks and sees the terrible devastation and hears of the devastation of his city, Jerusalem is without its walls having been built. He is heartbroken and he cries out to God in a prayer that has deep resonances, I think, for you and for me. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, after he has heard 
that Jerusalem is lying in ruins. This is what he says. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And then he acknowledges his own brokenness, doesn't point at everybody else, acknowledges his own sin, his own shame, his own folly, his own waywardness. But listen to this in verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant, Moses. Remember what you said you would do, Lord. Remember what you spoke into Israel through your prophet. Remember it, Lord, and bring it to bear. That's what I'm praying for Kensington Temple. Remember what you spoke into those people, Lord, in 1848. Remember what you spoke in to Kensington Temple when it began in 1931. Remember what you spoke in to George Jeffries. Remember what you spoke through Eldon Corsi. Remember what you spoke through Wynne Lewis. Remember what you've been speaking through Colin Dye. And Lord, bring it to completion. Fulfill your word. And he says... Um, In verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. At that time, I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah was about to embark on a journey that would take him out of his homeland into a different place and he would lead God's people into rebuilding a wall in 56 days. A remarkable story. But it all began with a prayer, not for Nehemiah, but for God's glory. What Kensington Temple has in the future doesn't begin with a prayer for Kensington Temple. It begins with a prayer for God's glory. It begins with a prayer for the kingdom. It begins with focusing on him and saying, do what you've always wanted to do. Fulfill your promise amongst us, Lord. Breathe out the energy and the passion and the power that we need that we might fulfill your purposes for this place. I am convinced that God has purposes for places, purposes for communities and purposes for churches like Kensington Temple. And that those purposes span generations and that God brings the right people so that they can grow the congregants, the buildings, the places, the finance, the the, the vision, the sense of direction, the rootedness. He brings everything that he needs and God can bring everything that he needs for Kensington Temple in this season and for the next season. And I pray that you will be attentive to it and that he will lead you and guide you and that you will walk into it with deep confidence, deep humility and a deep sense of expectation. And I want to invite you as you step into all of this to be people who inhabit the hyphen. What I mean by that is, and I feel it so profoundly and so passionately, that we need in London, the world needs a church in London that is word and spirit. A church that is rooted in the demonstration of the spirit's power and a deep reverence for the word of God. When Jesus was speaking in John chapter 6, verse 63, he was trying to explain to those who were listening to him the power of the Spirit and the power of his words. And he says this, in him you also, I beg your pardon, he says this, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. There are plenty of churches that have lots of life 
and lots of um, lots of stuff happening, but not so much grinding in truth. There are plenty of churches that I could take you to in London today who have lots of excellent preaching, but no space for the Spirit's manifestation. There are plenty that have manifestations that seem to contradict the scriptures. What Kensington Temple has held on to over the years is that it's been a, a community of word and spirit. Oh, London needs word and spirit. Elam needs word and spirit. The world needs word and spirit. And God is calling you as a fellowship to be a, spirit, a church that inhabits that hyphen. The hyphen between word and spirit. To be people that are open to new things. People that are open to new manifestations. People that are pressing into what God wants to do in this season. And aren't ashamed and aren't afraid. People that hear the voice of God and are shaped by it more than anything else. Not shaped first by your culture. Not shaped first by the voices around you. But shaped first by Almighty God. And as you allow him to shape you by the power of the Spirit, you are deeply rooted in his word. And his word flows from you and the Spirit's presence is seen and evidenced and experienced. This is what God is calling Kensington Temple into. To be a people who inhabit the hyphen, but not only that hyphen. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 1 as Paul is praying for them. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, there's the word, the gospel of your salvation, there's the good news of the kingdom, and had believed in him, that's what happens through regenerative grace. You are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. What if God is calling Kensington Temple to inhabit more than one hyphen? but to be a people who stand in the space so that others can find hope and life and grace. What do I mean by that? I mean that as individuals and as a church, you capture the sense of being a people inhabited by God's power for God's purposes. Micah the prophet caught this. Listen to what he says in Micah chapter 3 verse 8. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Micah says, I am called into a space where I speak to the church, or in his case, I speak to Israel and I speak to society. I speak into the believing people of God and I speak into the wider world. That's another hyphen. I speak justice. I speak for compassion. I speak for grace. Why do we end up separating worship from works? Why do we end up separating serving the poor from healing the sick? Why do we separate so often those things that belong together? What if God is calling Kensington Temple to inhabit the hyphen, to be a community that sees heaven touch earth and earth transformed by heaven's grace? What if in the way that you have conducted your ministry, God has brought you to this point powerfully, providentially and purposely that his presence might invade London in a fresh and new way and around the world? I am convinced that that is what God wants to do with you today. The writer to the Hebrew says in chapter 3, verse 7, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of provocation. I think God wants to do something today. I celebrate the history of Kensington Temple. I celebrate all that God has done. You've heard me say it again and again. Anybody um, that doesn't celebrate what has gone is, is, is dooming themselves to make the same mistakes as those that went before made. Kensington Temple has been blessed with some of the finest, most godly and spirit-filled leaders and now as you stand on this season, God has more for you. God has a new chapter. He has a, a power to pour out through you into the world around you. 
I want to encourage you to inhabit 10 hyphens. Take them down in your notes and think about them. Think about them in small groups and in sales and in satellites. Discuss them as a leadership team and allow God to speak into your souls. Number one, God wants you to inhabit the hyphen between word and spirit, to hold out for both. Grounded in the scriptures, open to the spirit, to be a centre of spirit life where God's spirit moves and heals and delivers and sets free, but where you are grounded in scripture. Secondly, to be a church that is grounded and lives in the hyphen between demonstration and proclamation. We don't need more people explaining why God isn't moving in miraculous power. We long to see churches where miraculous power is exploding, where people are being healed and delivered and set free, where lives are being transformed. I have no doubt at all that God, in the years that has gone, the remarkable testimonies of Kensington Temple have been around this. And God wants to do more of that. He wants to lead into a greater demonstration of the Spirit's power and a greater explanation of what that is and what that looks like. A proclamation of the kingdom, a proclamation of God's presence and of power. I'll come to that in a moment again. Number three, to inhabit the hyphen between gospel and kingdom, to proclaim with words that Jesus Christ died and rose again. The gospel and mission are not the same thing. We need more churches to stand in the truth of what the gospel is. Paul tells us what it is in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. This is the gospel that transformed Peter Paul's life. This is the gospel that has transformed the world. That there is sin to be dealt with. That Christ has dealt with it on the cross. That he has been buried for our uh, forgiveness and grace. And that he has rose again for our vindication. He has paid the price. He has taken the cost. He has settled the debt. He has borne the wrath of God. And he has liberated us into a life of freedom. A new creation. Which is kingdom life. Please, Kensington Temple, inhabit the hyphen between gospel, which is the proclamation with words of all that Christ has done and achieved for us in the cross and the resurrection, and the kingdom, which is partnering with God in the transformation of the planet, that his name might be glorified and his um, His honour might be brought upon the earth, but knowing that it's only he that can do it, not us. It is God's power that we need more than anything else. Fourthly, Please inhabit the hyphen between London and the world. London needs you. The boroughs of London, Hackney needs you. Kensington needs you. Chelsea needs you. Chiswick needs you. Uh, Lambeth needs you. Vauxhall needs you. London needs you, but the world needs you. The world needs Kensington Temple to be a church that is ascending church, a church with a global vision, a church with the vision that Colin Dye brought with him for the city and for the nations, a church that can see the glory of God spread across different languages, across different cultures. You already have 119 cultures present in your fellowship. God has brought the world to your doorstep. Kensington was metropolitan and cosmopolitan in 1848. How much more cosmopolitan is it now? And what might God do in all of those cultures and all of those nations as you are taught and enabled to live gospel lives for the glory of his name? Fifthly, inhabit the hyphen between church and society. And I want to commend to you the powerful work that you've been doing over the last number of years with the giants under Colin's leadership. I've been involved in that a little bit and I am thankful for it. We need churches that are um, translators speaking the language of hope and life and gospel truth into our cultures, 
inhabit the hyphen between um, the kingdom of God and business and finance, between the kingdom of God and philosophy and thought, between the kingdom of God and education and training, between the kingdom of God and the media and the arts, between the kingdom of God and politics and secular government, between the kingdom of God and law and order, between the kingdom of God and medicine and health, between the kingdom of God and religion and belief, between the kingdom of God and the environment and the ecology, between the kingdom of God and science and technology, between the kingdom of God and sport and leisure, and between the kingdom of God and marriage and family. Inhabit the hyphen. Speak with confidence into our culture. Change the wind. Help us to be a people that are better thought through, that are better lived. Stand with those that are scattered and those that are gathered. Remember that you are the church wherever you are, whenever you are, and inhabit that hyphen. But don't be afraid to be the people of God, to proclaim the power of being the church, salt and light, rooted in Christ, driven and held by his spirit, nurtured by his grace, surrounded by his mercy and his compassion. Sixthly, inhabit the hyphen between being gathered and scattered. There is something powerful when Kensington Temple gathers whether it's in the building on the corner of Ladbroke Grove and Kensington Park Road or when you were in Acton or when you hire another building. There's something powerful that the world sees when KT worships, when KT praises, when KT listens to God's word. It's remarkable. But you're also Kensington Temple when you are scattered into every strata of society, into those 12 spheres and into the wider world. Celebrate both. You have such a powerful framework for that in the cell church uh, framework and in your commitment to both being small and large. Celebrate it. Find ways of expanding it, developing it, supporting it and enabling it. That is the only way that the word will be taken. Not by another big church and another big church, but by big churches that are also small churches. By big organisations that can be small and small that can be big. If anything has been taught over these last months, it's that. We need that sense of community together, small and large. Inhabit the space between being gathered and scattered. Inhabit the space between confidence and humility. Speak with confidence into the world, but never with triumphalism. Speak with confidence that God protects. Speak with confidence that God heals. Speak with confidence that God raises from the dead. Speak with confidence that God is at work in the world, but speak with humility that we are utterly dependent on him, that we need his grace and his mercy Open your hearts to him. Let your posture in preaching and in praying and in living be one of humility and kindness and compassion and grace. Let the spirit who brings victory be the spirit who brings vulnerability. Learn to live in both and let God's grace and power shine through you in the years that lie ahead. Inhabit the hyphen between heritage and legacy. All that you have been is remarkable. All that you have been is remarkable. But there is more for you to do. There is a greater work that lies ahead. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to look back. Now is not the time to step into what you used to be. Step into all that God wants you to be. And leave a legacy which is powerful and pulsating with life and grace and hope. That God can use you again. He has revived Kensington Temple many times. My prayer is that he will flow out of you in abundant life once again. Two more and then I'm done. Inhabit the hyphen between hearts and minds. Too much Pentecostalism is emotionalism dressed up in nice words. Kensington Temple has never been that. An active mind, a mind set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Let your theology be deep. Let your biblical teaching be strong. Let your exegesis of the scriptures be profound. Apply the truths of Christian living and Christian spirituality into society, into life, into daily choices. Captivate the minds of a generation and captivate the hearts of a generation. Don't think that you have to apologize for one and able to take the other. Have both sitting together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, be a community that inhabits the hyphen between heaven and earth. A temple in the New Testament sense is the place where heaven and earth meet. And whatever you are called as you move into the future, whether you use different words, doesn't matter. Here's what matters. As a community, be a community that says, we are the place where heaven and earth meet. In our homes, in our lives, in our families, in our pulpits, in our gatherings, in our leadership team meetings, in our planning, in our strategy, in our giving, in our financing, in our plant training, in our preparing, in our sending, in everything that we are. We are Pentecostal to the core. We believe that Jesus is our healer, our saviour, our baptizer, and our coming king. Every community has a group of different people in it. There are those that are the traditionalists that always want to go back. There are the conservatives that like to stay to keep things as they are. There are the progressives that like to change things, but not too much. And there are the radicals that want to change everything. If you fall into any one of those camps, you're going to divide a church. But here's the key. Jesus Christ was a radical traditionalist. He held on to the truth of who God's people were and he interpreted it with a radical edge. So Kensington Temple, inhabit the hyphen. Finish the work. Be the radical, traditional, Pentecostal witness that the world needs. And may God pour out his spirit upon you in this season.